This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Deacon Danny Cahoot. In the study of Ecclesiastes, myself anyway, I'm doing it for myself personally. I find it intriguing. The few years back, me and Teresa took a trip overseas into Turkey area, Corinth, Mesopotamia, the whole, we decided to, as we were going on a trip, to take a trip and follow Paul's travels in his footsteps, places he went and things he did. One place that was interesting that, that it's bringing this lesson, this series of lessons into play is, is how everything is going to be placed into judgment. And when we were in Corinth, there was a stone that was there in front of a, a bunch of seats that were made of stones and, and they had excavated and said, be my seat. And the guide was sitting there telling us that Paul himself stood right there at that spot right there in one of his places where he was in judgment. And that's when he delivered the, the thing that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's just the, the pictures we have of it that says, be my that's not listed in the Bible, but it would meant the judgment seat. It was just intriguing to, to sit there and you, you're right there and in, in to, to envision a man as great as Paul standing right where you're standing. And, and we, we went to the, to the theaters where he, he was confronting all these people and you could just pictured the whole thing just packed with people and he's sitting there having to address all these people alone. And uh, the scriptures that he wrote and the way the Holy Spirit moved on this man is just, it was, I just brought back a lot of memories as I'm studying this and how Solomon himself places everything to the point of judgment. I don't know if you can see that right there. This, just, I'm, this is just for fun. But when me and Teresa went into Ephesus, they claimed that the place where Mary herself lived, the mother of Jesus, and where she was buried and, and the, the place where she was at, outside of the, her home where, they, where she had lived her last few years, there was a grove, small grove of fig trees. So I said, I'm going to grab me a couple of those, you know, and I'm looking around, you know, I don't know what they say, but I grabbed a bag of them because I like figs anyway. So when we went back to our room, I cut some of the figs open and dried them on the paper. And I took them home and put them in a potted plant and said, let's just try it. This was 10 years ago. And so I planted them and then transplanted them and then transplanted them again. And there you have it. Those are figs. That's, those are figs on a fig tree. I've got a grove of fig trees at my house. And those are from Ephesus right there from in front of them home where Mary was. So you can see the see them on the, on the tree there. I just wanted to pop that up because I was bringing this into memory. But it's amazing because those seeds won't fit on the head of a pin. And now the trees are, are 15 foot high. And just just came from actually cutting them open and drying them. And it's just Anyway, that's just for fun, just to take a glance at. I like figs, and 
So I make a lot of things with them. They produce twice a year. The, my other figs, the, the turkey figs, the Texas turkey figs, once a year in the fall. These figs produce in the spring and the fall. So this, this particular tree, I don't even know what kind it is, produces twice a year. But anyway, that's enough of that. I just, that was just for fun because I was reminiscing judgment how the smallest of things can turn into some of the biggest things in your life. And probably this is out of all the books I've read, and I'm, I'm not saying this to boast, I'm really not, but I've uh, become a little student of learning all I can learn while I'm here on this earth. And uh, out of all of the books outside of the crucifixion and the brutality that Jesus took for our sins, the life of Solomon and his, his writings and all his life and the book of Ecclesiastes is the most depressing, most heartbreaking, most creates every feeling emotionally in me from anger to joy. But the most disappointing thing about his life out of all of it, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 11 real quick and then I'll get back, get into the lesson. Out of all he had, the wisest man in the entire world that ever lived, that ever will live, the one, the wealthiest man for his time, I know that it doesn't compare to, to wealth today, but in those times, there'll never be anybody who had any more money or wealth or fame or wisdom than this man. And if you look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, for it came to pass when Solomon was old. And see, he had his whole life that he had experienced everything that could possibly experience. When he was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Isn't that crazy? And the, our pastor often says, don't ever say it can't happen to you, whatever it is in this entire world, because this man, the son of a king, was king over Israel, who, if we'll look at it, another verse here, how God personally spoke to him twice in his life and gave him anything that he wanted. Now, when you have the, the almighty creator speaking to you on a personal level, you can have it all. And then you turn away and go worship another God. It's, I just, I, I don't understand it. I can say right now, today I won't do it, but I don't know what tomorrow is. It says, right, when he came, when he became old, I, I mean, when it's time for him to meet God, how is that possible? Just how is that possible? That he, you know, I got my own opinions on that, and here's, here's, here's part of it. That his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord God, as was his father David, as was the heart of his father David. And Solomon went out of Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Melcom, the abomination of the Amorites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Now, we'll get into down the road on the, the 
the, the subject of forgiveness when Solomon gave his prayer. But nobody can say that the Lord cannot forgive me because David had a man murdered after committing adultery with his wife. And yet God in the future looked ahead and said, he will still place his son, Jesus Christ, on the throne of David. So if you think about forgiveness, God in his mercy knew his son was going to be sitting on the throne of a murderer. Now, I say I don't say that disrespectfully, but that's what it was. You know, the, David was a murderer, but God forgave him. And that just goes to show you that, that God takes what we do and bring to him and say, wash me whiter than snow, cleanse me so that he forgets about it, that that stuff under the blood is gone. It's no more there. Us and our flesh can't fathom it because we're humans. But, but God just wipes it away clean so it's not even there. Our faults. If, that's a big word, if we confess. But that's where we, that, I, that's the end of the story of Solomon. When he became old, he turned away from God and then a lot of things happened. His kingdom was taken from him, most of it. But then it says, and Solomon slept with his fathers, which means, you know, the Lord still showed mercy on him in his death. That, that hey, you blew it. Now it's judgment time. But we are still in this book here. We're going to be in this for a, long, for a while. We'll take a pause in a couple of weeks and change gears. But right now, we are going to be in Ecclesiastes. I stopped off last time. I just got through a couple of verses. But we'll start in chapter 1, verse 7. Pretty much where we left off. And the context of what this entire book is about is no matter what we do in our life, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we obtain or don't obtain, no matter all the words we speak, everything, no matter what, everything is going to be placed in the judgment. And outside of a part of life from God, our life under the sun means absolutely nothing uh, in the scope of life. Because we all die. We all return back to dust, these bodies, and the spirit back to God. But the context of verse 7 says, All the rivers run into the sea, chapter 1, verse 7, and the sea is not full. Completely. Where the, where the water evaporates up, it comes back down. Comes in, and that's, if, if you look, if you study later in the scripture, it's talking about every single person that's ever been born, every single animal, every single gnat, every single thing that has breath of life die and return back to where they came from just like the rivers he's comparing you'll see this further and down in the scripture that just the, that the rivers are even man is just even like the rivers all rivers run into the sea and the sea is not full unto the place where the rivers come thither they return again all things are full of labor, and man cannot utter it. The eyes are not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing. The thing that has been is the thing that shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. A lot of people will debate that, but if you look, listen to what he says in, in context, is there anything 
whereof it may be said, this is new. He said, it's already been of old time before us. Just different ways to do it. Transportation. Getting from one place to the other. Well, now they use jets. Back then they walked. But transportation has always been transportation. Sowing and reaping. You plant seeds and you reap. Now they use big combine. The things, nothing is new, just ways to do things. And this is what he is, Solomon is explaining here. In, 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 in this life, there are new ways to do things, but nothing is new as far as basic. Here's, here's, here's the key of what he's saying here in verse 11. Based on that, based on life, based on where we came from is where we're going back. Our bodies are going to be straight back to the ground. There is no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of the things that are to come with those who shall come after. Now, we, I'm not going to get back into Psalms where it describes what a generation is, but the Bible in Psalms describes basically you got some that live old, some that die young. But an overall generation is roughly 80 years. So if you go back 80 years, you may have heard tales of something that went on 80 years ago, but you go back two generations, nobody remembers anything at all about any of it. Other than a battle that was won here, a president that was shot here, or, uh, or the, the, the gunfight at OK Corral, we know about it, but the, the way of living, the actual way of living, the prosperity, the, the, the ups and the downs, people's lives, where they went to school. What they There's no remembrance of that, and we don't even think about it unless we see a movie on television. It comes and goes, comes and goes. And, and the sad, it's not sad, it's just actual, that I've just about lived a generation, 62, 63, in 20 years, my time will probably be up. Which means my grandkids, when they get old and they're my age, and they're sitting here talking to people, I'll, my former things, what I've done, what I planted, what I sowed, what I did, what, what the arguments I won, the arguments I've lost, anything at all about my life, be forever forgotten. The importance is what's not going to be forgotten is because when my spirit is given back to God, what did I do with it? I'm not, nobody, there's nothing going to go with me at all when I leave. And uh, none of us will. It's over. So how much time, and this is, this is, this is the depressing part of it, <laughs> this book when we get to it. You work and 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 you slave and you battle and you, and you, and you go and you go and you go to retire at 65, 70, 75 years old to enjoy four or five years when you can walk around. When you get about 80 years old, 90 years old, you don't feel like walking around. So you've slaved and battled and, and, hey, we eat, we poop, and we die. That's the scope of it. Everything we do is for our belly. Every, and that's in there too. Everything we do is so we can have another meal. 
in the James River's never full. We eat, we poop, and we die. And that is our life, and it's a cycle. It goes and goes and goes in the background. And, and you work and you fight and you toil and you grind and you, and you and bicker and, buy, and, and all of this stuff to enjoy four or five good years. Isn't that crazy? But that's life. That's the way it is. Okay. So verse 11 says, There is no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that will come after. Verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Let me, uh, I'm going to be covering a couple of terms here that uh, when I get to them. And I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. All things. And he did it. This sore travail hath God given the sons of man to be exercised with. A sore travail is a painful effort. And I'm, that's highlighted down a little bit further. I have seen it's just, this sore travail hath God given the sons of men to be exercised with. I've seen all the works that are done under the sun. That means why we're alive. This whole book is about the best that man can do under the sun while you have breath in your life, apart from your experience with God, apart from the people you went to the Lord, apart from, apart from your spiritual life, the best we can do while we're alive. The best. The absolute best. What is best for people as a whole. Have you know? Think about this. The news, the media, schools, government. When is the last time, think hard on this, when is the last time any of these agencies ever, think back hard, you had heard them utter the word sin. Think, think about that. It's always, even in the courtrooms, now these mistakes he's made, no, Nobody talks about the in publicly. Now we do in the church house, but when is the last time you've heard somebody stand up on a platform and publicly call out sin and say say that word? That's how say it. I can't remember ever outside of watching um, uh, evangelists on television. None of the news, none of the schools, and 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 that's that's a, that's a tragedy. People go through life and they, they, and they don't understand the source of every problem that this country has. Now, we're back at the source of ale, and that is painful effort. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is warning cannot be numbered. When God sets in motion what he wants done, and he, he has, he, he's got his plan and we can't figure it out from start to beginning. When he has said it, you can't stop it. When he has straightened it, you can't make it crooked. And when it's crooked, you can't make, and people that are wanting, oh Lord, please tell me, please tell me, please. I need to know, I want to, you know, if God has set it in motion, that's where faith comes in to, to just trust him. It's, it, it's his plan. We're just part of it. And when it's our time to go, we go and we leave everything behind for someone else. 
And I commune with my own heart. This is verse 16 saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, wait a minute. I've got to back up because I've got to say this right here. Verse 14. Let's back up to 14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun and behold all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Now I wanted to do some study on on that. I I covered uh, vanity last time. So we're going to hit a little bit more of that. Vanity in Ecclesiastes means emptiness in the final result in life apart from God. It means it's all for nothing. That's what I've been talking about all morning so far here is everything we've done outside of our relationship with God is just totally empty and means absolutely nothing. Sure, we've got to provide for our family. We've got to provide a spiritual guidance for, for some. We've got to try to win souls. But outside of that spiritual life, you get up in the morning, you work all day, you come home, you sleep, you get up in the morning, you work all, it's all, it's all empty. Unless, unless it's something that's done and sowed and planted eternally. Outside, everything in life is just, what Solomon is telling, it's, it's all vanity. It's all empty. It means absolutely nothing. You win an argument. What good does that mean in, in another generation? Nobody will know that. Hey, it's good to win arguments. I like to win arguments. I like to see my team win, but, to throw everything I got into it and just just and just go for it another day, another week, another month, that's completely forgotten and it was for nothing. But did I win somebody? Did I give an encouragement to somebody? Did I call somebody who doesn't understand? So vanity is to be born, to toil and work, to suffer some, to, to some extent, that, uh, that means any unpleasant experience. To experience a little joy. But in view of eternity, you leave it all and we die. It's over. You work, you die. You work, you poop, you die. You work, you poop, you die. Okay, the vexation of spirit. The vexation of spirit is a suppression of spiritual guidance. We're all guilty of it. We're all guilty. You get down on this road and you start driving up and down the road, sometimes we're just not led by the Spirit. That's my not being, Lord, I don't know why they cut me off like that, but God, it's in your hands. You got it under control. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No, we're thinking something different. You know, you, had, you, know, you have a blowout on a tire. Me and David used to have fun with it. You know, thank God I got a flat tire. But when you, when, when, when you, when things happen, we have a vexation of spirit for, cause momentarily we forget about God until we get our senses. We forget when you, when somebody runs into the side of you and just tears up your car, you're not sitting there thinking, Oh Lord, I know that was your will. You know, oh thank you. No, you're thinking, man, that dummy just ran a red light. You, know, you, you, you get a vexation of spirit, and and so all of this stuff that we deal with on a day-to-day basis 
causes, and Satan throws some things out there to have a vexation of spirit that causes one to question their faith. Now, this is not somebody that's rooted. No, very few people that are rooted in this word question their faith, but people that aren't do. How could God let that happen? How could God let this happen? How, if he was a loving God, why would this happen? You know, And vexation of spirit is something that causes one to question or draw them away from their faith in God. Examples. A vexation of spirit would be a temptation of any kind. It doesn't have to be a, 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 a lustful uh, temptation. It could be a a temptation, you're standing in the aisle and the fellow's sitting there and you see all of a sudden a 20 drops down on the floor and you're just standing there. Should I tell him? He don't even know it. If he walks away, I can pick that up and I got 20 bucks. That's drawing away. Financial difficulty can cause a vexation of spirit. What are we going to do? We're never going to pull out of this. I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't, and, and for momentarily, you can get vexed in your spirit. And, uh, you know, this, I'm not going to get, jump to that scripture because I won't have time. But Lot was vexed in his conversation, in his Christian life, because he was constantly around ungodly people and it vexed that righteous man. And that's a whole different, you know the story how Lot got, that, that's a vexation. His spirit was vexed because of his, what was what he was putting in his brain, what he saw, what he felt, what he did, and the way he lived. He pitched his tent towards Sodom and became vexed in his spirit. It could be losing a loved one. You know, we we just lost my dad, and I'm telling you what, that, there's not a day that goes by that I, I wouldn't give everything, everything that I had to have one more conversation with that man. One more. Just one more. I, I'm telling you from my own heart, I would give everything I got to sit down with him for 10 minutes. Everything. But I can't sit here and let it vex my spirit. Why did you let that happen? Now, I would have loved for my father, me and him to be sitting in a chair and say, and talking to him. And he's, I would didn't, I wouldn't want, when he died, I didn't want him to die the way he died. I wasn't expecting it. It was out of nowhere. But I'm not going to sit there and vex my spirit and, and get bitter and angry and cause me to, to I'm, I just, he don't care about me. He don't love me. Look what he let happen. Look what, and people blame God for everything that's wrong in their life instead of that three letter word sin and ungodliness and, and where, where the root actually is. Persecution, you know, persecution is a way to defect spirit. You know, this church carries a lot. Force. I could vex your spirit very. Not, I'm not saying I would. I, let's let's use the invisible man. So you, <laughs> we'll call him Larry. We have Larry sitting there, and I'm over here. You know something, that Larry. You know what he did. You know what Larry did. And you and you hear that. It happened to me one, a lot of times, not a lot, it happened once I remember, man, I was in the toilet using the bathroom and these two men came in and they started talking and dogging and talking about something in this church. And I heard it. 
That vexed my spirit. What I wanted to do, because, but it was before service. It was on a Wednesday night. It was before service. I wanted to jump up in their face when I got out that toilet and say, that was wrong. You know, that was absolutely wrong, but I didn't do it. But my spirit was vexed. I sat there and stewed about it all service long about what I had just heard rather than sitting there, Lord, forgive them. Lord, help me. So any type of persecution, somebody can persecute you verbally, physically, or whatever, and it can vex your spirit and draw you away from a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It happens on a daily basis to every one of us. Every one of us have a vexation of spirit every day somewhere in our life. And to put it in check, it takes a, it takes a strong man, a strong backbone, a strong person. Now, sure, we can think about it a day or two later. Say, you know, that was nothing. That was vanity. That means, you know, I won't even remember that 10 years from now. That'll be gone. It'll be forgotten. Forget it. But your immediate, our immediate response, very few people have enough will. Now, they can fake it. I can look at you and smile and be thinking, you dirty dog. You, you are no good rascal. And, and it's the heart. And that's what's going to be judged, people. That, that's where the, that's where the heart is what's, and the, the, the brain is what's going to be judged, how we live, how we actually feel in our heart. I mean, we, we can fake ours, we can fake people, but we can't fake the Holy Spirit who wants the relation, who wants to guide, who wants to help. Now, it would be nice to get up every single morning and, and after we say our prayers and to get out there and every single thing that happened, the Bible says, in all things give thanks. All things. That's on the realm of impossibility for me. I can't do it because, you know, when I'm out there, like yesterday, this is just briefly, I, I got six trucks I got to keep up with. I got trailers, tires. It seems like every two weeks I'm changing a tire. But I got a load of hay and I pulled into a place where I was going to off offload my hay. And all of a sudden, my truck. And, and, and I'm thinking, see, I had a vexation, a spirit. I didn't like the old days get out there and think, God, I got truck trouble. Thank God. I didn't do that. I thought some other things in my heart. I said, why now? Why now? I got four things I got to do. Mama needs this. And so I said, so I got out there, I opened up. It was the alternator. The bearings in it were grinding out. And so Teresa had a car. We realized somebody else bought another car. So everything else was hooked up. I said, so, all right, shut it down. Started calling around. The alternators for, the, for that uh, Chevrolet was uh, anywhere from $150 to $300. So I said, okay, I got to go get an alternator. So I said, well, wait a minute. I went to the junkyard and pulled one for $33. Isn't that cool? I think that's, a, that's cool. It just took me an extra two hours. But I went out to the junkyard, pulled it, came up and put it back in. My point being... I had a vexation of spirit for about two hours leading up to me getting that. I went into the junkyard, pulled the wrong one, and came up there. He said, man, that ain't going to match. 
I sat there and pulled that other one on. I said, he said, yeah, here, here, go find these three vehicles right there. There's one on that. So I had to go back in there. I didn't have a vexation of spirit, but I was dirty. I didn't have, I won't. Oh, thank you. It's all in your hands, oh Lord. You provided, blessed be the name of the Lord. No, that didn't happen. And it won't happen to you either. But what Solomon is trying to tell you, none of it matters. None of it matters. All this riff and all, because two hours are going to go by, three hours are going to go by, a week is going to go by. You know, until I started teaching this morning, I had already forgotten it. And that two hours of means absolutely it's vanity. Empty. What did it mean? What, what did all that stir actually accomplish? Zero. Now I'll tell you what, I've, if I had have done, thinking back like I do now, I've asked the Lord to forgive me for my story, but I said, if I had, all right, let me cut this off, something's wrong. Lord, it might take me a few minutes here, Lord, but I just ask you, Lord, to, to, to help me. Just, just help me. I'm in trouble. And I'll just let it go. Now, three hours later, two hours later, a week later, Ten years later, what benefit, more benefit would I have? No matter what happened, it's all going to come back. It's going to come and go. It's going to come and pass. Anyway, that's just how easy every one of us can get vexed in our spirit over something that doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. It'll be forgotten in a week. And just think about this. Every one of us, look, look out right now, every one of us in this room, 50 years from right now, what would that matter? To, to, in 50 years, what is anything we say in anguish or do in anguish or, or stir outside of winning another soul? Now, I don't know, I never have understood this, Brother David. Anybody can answer this. I would love to have an answer. Yeah, I mean, you, you write them down. Why don't people come to Sunday school? Simple question. Why don't people, this church, any church, every church is the same. Why do not people come to Sunday school? Any, uh, I got a long drive. I got I got... To me, I just look at my life. I was brought up in it. From when I was two years old, all earlier, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church. I was at the church house. When it, and so you know what happened when I grew up? I don't care how vile and wicked I was on the streets. Not immoral now. I'm talking about I was a typical teenager. Yeah, I smoked some weed. I drank a beer. You know, I'm not. But I never missed a Sunday. I never missed Sunday school. No matter how. And this, when me and my wife, we've been married 40 years this month, this year. When we got married, we all decided on three things. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, this is all about vanity and vexation of spirit. I said, when we got married in, in August the 7th, 1982, I said, 
no matter how backslidden we get, we will be in church and we will tithe our income. I don't care how low in this world we get. I don't care how where we are. When we're on vacation, when we're, we will be in church, we will be in Sunday school, and we will tithe our income. Or me and you are not getting married. You think I'm lying? She'll tell. You, I had three prenuptial agreements because the whole long story behind that is my wife asked me to marry her on our third date. I, I, the third time I laid eyes on my wife, she asked me to marry her. I said, "Well, I knew her dad. I worked with her dad." Uh, uh, in the church for probably four years before I met my wife. So I knew when I met her, that's the best it was going to get for me because I knew me. So I said, okay, we got three things. Tithe and be in church. Number two, if we ever have an argument, a disagreement, if you run home to your mama, it's over. I'm leaving. You go, you go to Egypt, you go anywhere in this world you want to go to, but you run home to your mama, I'm not going to deal with that. And number three, when it comes to fishing, if I say I'm going fishing, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to tell you how long I'm going to be. I don't want to... No, I'm go, if I say I'm... If I get up in the morning and say I'm going fishing, that conversation never... I'm going. But we've been married 40 years. But my, the, the point behind all of that is is why don't people get a hunger and thirst for this book? I've never, I never have understood it. I mean, if I, this is not because I'm teaching it, this is because of what I've studied. If I had somebody in my younger years that would teach me this right here, I would, and I have driven, I'm not going to start mentioning the names. Me and my wife, we have driven miles and miles and miles to hear some very powerful speakers and get spiritual knowledge. But if I had somebody that would break this down word for word for word for word for me when I was younger, I'd have given anything. I can't understand why knowing that everything is vanity outside of God and relationship. Everything. It's going to be gone. Why there's, why there's not a hunger for, for as much as you can get? I just don't understand it. I can understand. I, I can't go because I got a death in a family. I got, I got, I got sick folks. I, the, the, the pandemic. I understood that. The pan, I, I understand that. But, but to just get, just, oh, I just don't feel like going today. I just, I just, I just don't feel like going today. That's, you know, God's going to judge that as a Christian. Okay. Now, here we go. Verse 16. I commune with my own heart, and I'll be finished here in about 30 seconds. Commune with my own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to greatest day. I've got more than wisdom than they all, and they have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart hath great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom madness and folly and I perceive that this also is a vexation of spirit and I'll finish with this okay madness we know what the wisdom is the madness is a striking difference between good and evil 
So Solomon decided, he says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to make a line and I'm going to say, this is good and this is evil. And madness is evil and, 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 and goodness is, is righteous. There's a line between it and it don't take rocket science to figure it out. So I went, I set my heart out to go ahead and just, just decide, okay, what is right and what is wrong? That's what madness is. Madness is the evil, the striking difference between good, it's your conscious. You know, you, we know what's right and wrong. There's absolutely no way, it's insanity to understand how somebody can get up and say, I don't know if I'm a boy or a girl. How stupid is that? How, I mean, that, that's, that, that's, 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 that's just blows my mind. Okay. The folly is a lack of proper respect and fear for God. The lack of it. They're prone to go in the wrong direction and a totally, total lack of good sense. So when he says, I says, I gave my heart to know wisdom, madness, folly, I perceive that this also is a vexation of spirit. And I'm going to end with this next part. For in wisdom, in much wisdom, now this is per, this is a, this is a gold here. For in much wisdom is much grief. He that increases knowledge, you increase your sorrow. You know why? Because the more you understand God's word and the more you know about it and the more you understand it and you look at your own children and you look at people's lives and the way they conduct them and you know where they're going wrong. You know the bridge is out on the road they're going. You know, you know they're making wrong decisions and it grieves you because you know what their end result is going to be. You know what's going to happen. You keep saying that. You keep doing that and you keep going. It's going to be bad for you. And so your grief, so the more you understand and the more you understand how God operates and the contrast between good and evil and you see the path going wrong, it just increases your sorrow and grief when you see your own children why are you doing that? Why? And it just increases your grief and sorrow the more you... And so sometimes, according to Solomon, I thought I hated life because I wished I didn't know anything. Didn't have all this grief and sorrow pouring on me because what you're doing is you're, 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 you're heading for destruction. And I'm going to end with that. Now, we've got a tremendous amount of scriptures we're going to get into as we get further down in here, especially on forgiveness. Because I, if, if just in the first two chapters of this book, 25 times the word all, A-L-L, all, that means every single one of us is mentioned. And there's two other, there's, there's another, so the all, in the word if, when we get to the forgiveness part of it, forgiveness is definitely conditional. Now you can release forgiveness from your own spirit. Like if you wrong me, I'm not going to be in bondage. I have already forgiven that. You know, if it, that's, that's no, no given. I'm not going to be in bondage to none as far as harboring. But if you want me to forgive you, you have to come to me and say, Brother, I'm sorry I did you wrong. I really am. Will you forgive me? I say, Brother, yes. It's under the blood. It's gone. 
And that's what, that's what Jesus is telling us. Well, that's what this word says in John, First John. It says, if, 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 if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say, no matter what you do, I've forgiven you. No, it says, if. And that's what Solomon says in Kings, and we'll cover a lot on forgiveness. Solomon says, if, if these people turn away and go serving other gods, if they turn away from their ungodliness and come back, Lord, please forgive them. If. Forgiveness is totally conditional. Not from a personal standpoint, but from someone getting forgiveness. You listen to Deacon Danny Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.